morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to those watching out there in Cyberland. Uh, it's uh, great to have you with us. If you're visiting with us online, my name is Rob Stacey. I'm the Generations Pastor here at BBC, and it's my privilege this morning uh, to be leading us uh, in what we'd hoped had been a time together here in the building. Uh, but if you're watching this broadcast today, I want you to know that the Spirit is alive and active wherever you're watching this from. Even if it's from your device, in your bed, in your living room, know that the Spirit is with you and alive and active among us. Uh, I want to encourage you as, you as you listen this morning uh, that you would lean into uh, this a little bit. Uh, take that time to, to set your mind aside and allow your heart to be attentive to what God might want to say in and through His words this morning. Let me open with prayer. Father, we're just so thankful uh, that even though we can't be here together physically, uh, Father, we can be together spiritually in you and through your spirit. And we ask this morning as we open your word together uh, that you would, uh, you would be with us, Lord, that you would open our hearts to new realities and the things that you want to say to us here and now in this space. And we thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in our series uh, called The Prodigal Church in the Letter to the Corinthians. And today, like last week, we're going to be dealing with a couple of tricky um, different topics. Uh, and so this is my little one minute warning like Craig gave last week. We're going to keep it strictly PG, but uh, there may be other activities you might want to get your younger ones uh, to uh, get engaged with at the moment. Well, as we've become aware, Paul's letter uh, to the Corinthians is, is, is pretty direct about a number of issues pertinent to that particular first century culture. Uh, there's been an exchange of letters, and we heard from Pastor Craig a couple of weeks ago, there could have been even four or five different letters that were going to and from. And Paul wants to write back to this church that he'd planted, the people that he was discipling, uh, those he was leading along the faith journey, and respond to a bunch of those questions that they'd posed to him, like a good discipler would do. And, and the context is, is really important um, to grasp, because it, it does help make sense of some of these tricky topics that Paul wrestles with here. And over the last few weeks, we've heard some of that context that uh, we, we really need to wrestle with from Pastor Craig. Um, and these aren't just superfluous academic details that he shared with you to make himself feel good or look smart. These are actually details that help us understand what Paul might be saying, not only in this letter, but to us today in our context. And today we're going to cover some tricky topics, marriage, remarriage, divorce, circumcision, slavery, all within a context, a very particular context. And before we jump into that, I wanted to just add a little something to our context conversation that we've been having. Last week, Pastor Craig uh, brought a challenging word on, on sexual immorality and about being called out and being called up. What does that look like in our context, but also what does it look like in that first century context? Uh, that we are not our own, that we were, we were bought with a price, and we're going to get to that very powerful um, scripture in verse 23 today. It, uh, this, this call out and this call upward necessitates a different way of being, 
a different way of living. And the last couple of chapters leading into this has talked about this personal walk that we have. What do we do within our bodies and what we do with our personal faith journey has a personal connotation to it. Uh, Pastor Craig used that word, a new humanity last week. What are we doing as we live into this new humanity? Um, How are we living that new humanity that Christ initiated that's personal and central to us? But then he moves, Paul does, moves into what I think this next passage talks about. And that's how that looks within community. So our new humanity transforms into a new community. Those two things play together. You see, Paul is still dealing with this factionalism. He's talking about, you know, Apollos said this and Cephas said this and they're this and that. And they're still wrestling with those issues. But then as we move on in Corinthians, you'll see that it moves into the wider society, the wider world. How does being a new human in Christ, living in that new community, transform the world around us and that wider society that we're connected with? Um, So we're going to be going there this morning. I want you to keep that in mind as we reflect together. All of the different contextual issues that we've been talking about, I want you to hold on to those things as we jump into this passage today. So if you have your Bibles, I always encourage you, have your paper Bible with you, open that up wherever you are. I'm going to have it on the screen for you, but it's great to follow along. Have a pencil, underline something, makes you feel like you're participating in the sermon. There you go. Okay, we're reading from verses 8 all the way through to 24. We're going to just deal with this first chunk at the moment. And it reads like this. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do, Paul speaking. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. I'm going to deal with this just briefly here before I move on. What Paul is talking about is some of these different issues that are rising up amongst them. He's saying, you know, some of you think that you should be like me, you should be single. Yes, that's a good thing, but it's not necessarily the most important thing. It's what you need to understand, okay? He's saying, actually, in the context where you are, yes, sexual identity, the expression, um, your, your, your desire, those emotions that, that God has put in you are good things, good desires and emotions that are best expressed in marriage. And so if you have those and you have those desires, they're expressed in marriage. Move towards marriage. If you do not, have, have a life of celibacy, have a life of singleness. That's, that's okay. That is not what is important in this topic today. Faith and our life in Christ is what is important and what Paul is talking to. But obviously he's reminding them of some of these issues uh, that they're facing. So we move on. Verse 10, it says this, To the married I give this command, and he puts in brackets in the text, Not I, but the Lord. So he's speaking to what Jesus had said in his scriptures. Back in Mark 10, you might might read back in there, uh, even Luke 11, Jesus talks about marriage very specifically. He says, Not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. In Scripture, we we see this 
um, to and fro. Man should do this, wife should do this, husband this, wife this. this. He's saying the same thing to both, okay? Just because one becomes before the other, it, it doesn't make a difference. Both are getting the same command. Okay, so he talks about divorce there. And then he jumps into verse 12. He says, to the rest I say this. And this is where I think he's speaking to one of the issues that they've written to about. I, Paul, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? When I first went to India about 10 years ago, um, I met a nun at a, an orphanage dedicated to children uh, with disabilities and special needs. Uh, in India, this is something that it looks like a curse in your family. And so what people would do is they would literally just abandon these children on rubbish dumps um, in different places, or they would leave them at the door of this orphanage. Um, and it sounds rather abhorrent in this 21st century New Zealand context. Um, some of these Hindu religious communities and how they deal with each of these different things. It was a, it was a burden too heavy for most families. Anyway, the story isn't about the orphanage. It's about the nun from Mexico. You see, the sister had actually brought together a, a group of young boys. She was looking after these young guys. They were all 17 or younger. And she had basically formed a youth group. A Catholic nun had uh, started a youth group. Um, but the problem was that her uh, priest who was in her, um, uh, in her area had actually said, that's not appropriate for a nun to do. And so when I was visiting this orphanage and I was, I was chatting with her, she said, look, you can do one thing for me. Would you pray for these boys? And she listed off in her head 35 names. I've still got them in one of my diaries that I pray for every year. 35 names verbatim of all these different boys that she'd been working with. Some of them had come to know Christ. Some of them were struggling to walk with Christ. And see, she feared that their surrounding culture would essentially engulf them if they weren't prayed for, if we didn't intentionally pray for them. See, the surrounding culture is so strong in a place like India that the lives of these boys, some of whom knew Christ but were still in the midst of it, they would have to wrestle with the reality that when Christ called them, he called them out of some of those religious practices and into new ones as new humans. Um, I've, I've been to the lanes of Sonagachi that Craig referred to last week. I've walked and watched young men, guys who I would have had in my youth group once upon a time, doing what they do on Friday nights. And that's visiting a lane and taking for themselves a young prostitute. Hundreds and hundreds of them. This 
is almost like a rite of passage, almost normal in their society. And we can sit back and we can decry this kind of outrageous cultural practice. But all around the world, there are practices, ancient customs, traditions that still control modern society, isn't there? I mean, I only need to say the name of a couple of countries and your brain goes straight to those things. Saudi Arabia, Iran, arranged marriages, lucky numbers, bar mitzvah, uh, schoolies week in Australia, <laughs> witch doctors in Papua New Guinea. I wonder if we, if we understand some of the things that are happening in our own culture that speak to what Paul's speaking to here. I heard a great, um, a great little quote this week, uh, and it said, if you asked a fish how they feel about the water around them, they would say, what water? What water? You see, the immediate point of that fish story is that the most obvious, ubiquitous, important realities are often the ones that are the hardest to see and to talk about. And Corinthians, we're, we're engaging with these very topics, the very things, sexual immorality, divorce, all of these things, things that are around us, but we forget about. You know, uh, 30 years ago, it was almost, maybe even 40 years ago, it was almost unheard of for divorce to be known within a, within a community. Uh, if that happened, it was one of the most tra tragic and, um, you know, not talked about things. Today, like fish in water, it's pretty normal for us. So Paul looks at Corinth with the same eyes, the same eyes that the Mexican nun had for her boys. And he wants to see transformation come to them in their life. But the surrounding city and its values, its temptations, its pressures to conform, they sent the believers into a bit of a tiz. And so they write all these different letters to and from. And they're wrestling with those God-given emotional desires, those emotional needs, those sexual desires and needs. And they're wondering, actually, there's this bewildering array of moral questions and difficulties that are made harder by other Christians as well in that society. And so Paul wants to speak through it. He, he's picking through this minefield. One of my favorite writers, N.T. Wright, he gives this sagely advice. He says, we who live in many different situations, never envisaged by Jesus or Paul, need wisdom, we need humility, we need faithfulness to apply the teaching afresh in our own day. I think those words are so true for us. These bewildering array of things that we are dealing with and the things that Paul deal with, deals with in these passages this speaks so clearly to that. So let's have a look at verse 10 and, and dig into that a little bit. Uh, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. When it comes to divorce, Paul leans very much back into the Gospels about marriage. And he reflects Mark 10, where he says, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Marriage for Paul was a union and a bond that reflected God's image back into the world. So that whatever broke that image was dishonoring to God 
And as I'm sure those who have been through the pain of divorce watching this this morning understand, it's damaging to the humans involved as well. And what Paul isn't discussing is the problems that arise in marriage that can lead to divorce, that can lead to marriage breakdown. Okay, I need to be really clear about that. He's speaking to a cultural pressure within that time to separate from their husband or their wife, to foolishly show some sort of asceticism to faith. What do I mean by that? I will not force myself into, what he's he's saying is, I'm going to force myself into celibacy. I'm going to force myself into singleness because that's what Paul is. He's single. So maybe if I act exactly like Paul is, I will be more holy. I will be more uh, loved by Christ. See, it's quite easy here with these verses when they're taken out of context and applied in different places to feel condemned. And maybe you've been through a divorce or more than one divorce and you're watching this and maybe you've considered it, maybe recently. I want you to hear clearly that Jesus knows your story and he loves you. And the book of Acts reminds us that by his spirit, he is in you and he is with you. Yes, God's ideal is marriage forever a reflection of his own covenant relationship with humanity. But it was never about enduring physical abuse. It was never about staying in unsafe circumstances. That's not what Paul's talking about here. His ideal is a covenant relationship, one that is mutually submissive, one that shows love to and for one another. I just read Paul's words in in Ephesians 5. Beautiful words about what the marriage covenant is all about. Paul's words in these verses are speaking very specifically to a trend within a culture of a time that subverted Christ's heart for devotion within a believer. And we need to make sure we grasp that this morning. This isn't about a beat up on those who have endured a divorce. I want to make a point about the sanctification element as well. Paul's referring to He's talking about something that is future focused. There isn't, there isn't a sense this sanctification process uh, through the believer that, that wouldn't be there if, if they weren't there. And see, in this, in this moment, they're feeling that same pressure. Maybe I should step away from an unbelieving husband or wife because actually it would make me more um, acceptable to God and, and, and more pleasing to him in this environment. The unbelieving partner would regularly within, uh, and is regularly within the reach of God when a believing partner is with them. But there's also that, that part that says, you know, if they want to go, they can go. That's because the same covenant binding elements within faith do not apply to people who do not know Christ. You've got to hold these things in tension. We must, as N.T. Wright said, use wisdom, humility, and faithfulness to apply this teaching in afresh in our own day. Let's move on. We're going to verses 17 and, eight, and, and through to 24. It says this, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. 
Just as God has called them, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. This is important, this sentence. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. This is coming from a Jew, right? Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person, here's this refrain that comes back again. Each person should remain in the situation they were when they were called by God. Were you a slave when you were called? Do not let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. That's an important cultural comment right there. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were called, uh, they were in when called, when God called them. The danger of breaking up 1 Corinthians 7 into these smaller pieces that we can easily lose the thread of where Paul's going. It looks as though this passage is about circumcision and slavery, and, and it is, but why is it in the middle of a chapter about marriage and sex? Well, the simple answer is that he is using them to illustrate the larger point he's making. And we find him repeating these words three times. Don't try and change the status you had when you became a Christian. We, should, we shouldn't feel the pressure to, to change our status when we're drawn into this. Why does Paul use these two illustrations? Because he's trying to make a point to the believers that it's about whose we are, not who we are. Okay? It's about whose we are, not who we are. Paul uses this illustration in a couple of places. Galatians 3.28. Uh, Paul lays down one of the most basic principles of living within the Christian family. There is now no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free, male or female. We are one in the Messiah. Our passage is about male and female, Jew and Greek, and how that works within community. And Paul uses very precise language um, for these other two elements to explain about the status change appropriate for faith. You see, all three distinctions were well known and appreciated within that first century culture. Those who would have received this letter would have had individuals in their families all across that social strata in their society. And I need to speak to those two things quickly. You see, circumcision was this outward physical sign that conformed to Jewish law. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Craig was using the image of um, the discus thrower or Domino's pizza thrower, as he said, um, and he was naked. Well, actually, within that culture, every bit of physical exercise and going to the bathhouses was done naked. Uh, so you couldn't hide whether or not you were Jewish or not. 
it's pretty hard to hide that physical conformity to the law. And so they were thinking, well, maybe I need to change something about me to do uh, and to be more for Christ. Um, But it was also something used within Christian society to exclude or create social status. Okay. And the way in which it excluded and divided communities into the haves and the haves not have nots was unacceptable to Paul. And he wanted to say this to them. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Strange for a Jew to say. You see, being Christ's first necessitates a different way of being. And it's, it's not about your place in society, but Christ in you. See, Paul's tearing down these cultural strongholds that were binding people. They were causing harm in this new community. And it requires, uh, and it was requiring them to, to conform to some of these new social norms. And we've heard all about that context, that background, how crazy it was back in those days. Married people were told, hey, if, 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 um, if this suits you, go and do it. We have something similar in our own society today, though, don't we? We kind of hear some of these narratives. We're told, hey, married people, um, if he gets fat or, or he doesn't live up to your projected standards anymore, just divorce him. Just divorce him. Find someone better suited to your needs and your desires. I've heard that narrative a few times. I'm sure you have. We're told to, to look a certain way, to wear the right brands, to have the certain house. See, great marketers know how to create just enough dissatisfaction with your current status that you would be forced to consume or chase after that which fulfills the need they created in you. Society is doing that to the Corinthians and it's doing it to us. And Paul's speaking to it. And that's not the only place. He talks about slavery. You know, we're called out and we're called up. Surely that means we should step away from being in this. And and, and as we've heard, slavery in the first century was as common as having a, a kind of a vacuum cleaner in your house. Although very abhorrent to us, it was pretty normal in those societies. And we've We've heard about that as well. It's, uh, there's this beautiful story that Paul talks about um, in Philemon, which is a book further on um, that he wrote in response to the slave running away, Onesimus. And Onesimus comes to him and says, look, um, I, found, I found faith in you, Jesus. What do I do? Uh, and, and, and Paul says, go back. I will send you with a letter. We all know that slaves at that point could have been killed. They could have just, they would have been ended. But Paul knew that something was transformed in Philemon, Philemon, however you want to say it. Something was transformed in him to make him understand that there was something new about his slave, the person who did his work. And he wanted to draw him back and say, actually, what it means to be a new human in new community is that there is no stratas of social um, social um, connectedness. There is this um, bringing together of the owner and the slave in a neutral center. And what's happening in the society is maybe I need to have the right things, be the right way, act a certain way. And Christ is saying, nah, nah, nah. Paul's saying, come and understand what the gospels are talking about. 
Instead of butting heads with Philemon, he encourages him to live out that new humanity in that new community. Wouldn't I have a better social standing though? Verse 23 says, you were bought at a price. We are called to be a new community, birthed from a new humanity. You were called to be set apart, to be different, to not conform to the pattern of this world, as Paul says in Romans 12. We need to recognize the determinative role of God's calling and gifting on our lives. Living no matter what the situation that you are in, reflecting God's character, being salt and light, and living out that Christian life. Paul's heart and his passion in these chapters is to help Corinthians, and I think to help us understand what it means to be called and to be different. They aren't to conform to the social cultural patterns, but to be birthed into a new community. You see, the higher calling of Jesus is to remember whose we are and allow that to direct who we are, no matter what our circumstances are. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, the last thing we hope is that people are feeling condemned and fearful sitting wherever they're watching this. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would speak life and truth to their situation. Sometimes it's easy to take these passages and, and apply them directly to my life without understanding the context in which they were given and the things in which they were spoken into. Father, I just pray right now a blessing on every home, on those individuals now who are, who are joining us, who are, who are wrestling through something pretty messy in life, something that they read in Scripture as not being the ideal. Father, help them have wisdom. Lord, help them to be faithful to what you are doing in their midst. Father, call them out and up into that new humanity that you've called us into and what that might look like for them within that community, within that home, within that relationship. Father, I ask your blessing on every home and on every individual watching this morning and ask, Father, that you would take this word and speak it in truth and love to them. May they put aside anything of man's persona and his words. And Lord, that may they receive what you want to say to them by your spirit this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, church. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.